Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. Uh, just warning you, dear listener, that uh, we might be interrupted by a forthcoming sneeze or f- or series of sneezes from my esteemed co-host. <laughs> like I can feel that there's a sneeze coming, but I don't know how soon it's going to be, so I don't want to wait on the podcast. Why am I so quiet? You're not quiet. It's just low. Don't worry. It'll be fine. It, it's to anticipate when you sneeze because it'll be louder when that happens. You sneezed about well, four or five times during episode five of the time monster which we watched in addition to episode six thus finishing off the time monster and indeed season nine of doctor who wait that was the end of the season that was the end of the i know it's taken but probably about a year for us to get through 26 episodes of doctor who um but we did it i'm just i don't know that didn't have a season well maybe it did kind of have a season ending feel now that i now that i think about it waka 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 naked baby benton and a bunch of crazy stuff and i'm not entirely sure but i feel like maybe those were the two boobiest episodes of doctor (laughs) who ever am i am i wrong um thinking but no i don't think you're wrong that's all. <laughs> what a fun way to spend in the mind palace of my <laughs> classic Doctor Who knowledge, thinking cleavage through the years of classic Doctor Who. I, I figured of the two of us, you would probably be the one that would be able to, to I mean, and not just because you can bring up a mind palace and I can't, but like the only other thing that springs to mind for me is, you know, Perry's bikini. And no, that does not compare. No, it doesn't. Listen, I spotted two props that would show up later in Doctor Who when I watched Live and Let Die the other night. So you think that I am a one-track mind. I am, but that that <laughs> there are many lanes in that track. It's, it's a very wide track, and it's just called Doctor Who. That's the one. Um, so... Uh, yes, the Time Monster. You you knew of the reputation that it had. Uh, it's Liz Miles' favorite story. Not, her, in her opinion, the best story, but her favorite. Very important distinction. Now that you've seen the whole thing, as specifically episodes five and six, which we watched, what is what is your thinking now? I mean, I it, it certainly has a very, like groovy hey hey 1970s feel to it which i guess i can understand that turning people off um it's not nearly as bad as i was expecting it to be based on its like you know i would i would i'm not even a you know this era fan terribly although i like it a lot more watching it in context but like i would much rather watch this than i don't know like most of the historicals you're not a historical fan are you Nope. <laughs> <laughs> At all. Like any of them? Now that I think about it, it's been a while since we watched the black and white era, I understand. But, uh. um, trying to think of a historical that I would rather watch than the, uh Well, I mean, I haven't actually seen The Highlanders. So maybe, but that like you know, it's oh. a it's a re, it's a recon. So when you mentioned that, I'm watching <laughs> episode four tonight. That's the last historical. I'll be done mm-hmm. with those historicals after tonight. Yeah. How intriguing the timing of this. Mm-hmm. So like, I would, I mean. I would rather watch this than the recon of the Highlanders, right. but if it existed, maybe I would prefer that one to this, perhaps. Would you rather watch the recon of the Time Monster, though, I wonder? <laughs> maybe? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to picture what that would be like. You know what? It's interesting. I wonder if some people would like the Time Monster better if they couldn't see it. 
I'm serious. I think you could probably say that for a lot, like uh, the sensorites probably, or the space museum. They probably think, oh wow, just imagine what we're missing in the visuals with when we hear, listen to the audio of the space museum, and then you see the space museum, and it's not, it's impressive. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, th- the story is a little wacky and weird in places, but it's not as like it makes as much sense as a lot of other Doctor Who stories. I don't know. I don't feel like I feel like it got a little. It it changed tracks a lot between episodes four and five, you know, but that's typical for later six-parters. You get, you know, two episodes that fit together and four episodes that fit together, and here we are with that. Um, I think I liked the first four episodes better because I enjoyed the quote-unquote modern day Mm -hmm. um, shenanigans that were happening with the unit family and all that kind of stuff. And I was interested in that and those characters. And then suddenly we're in ancient Atlantis. And it's like, you know, fine. I don't care as much about these people. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the trope of the power-hungry, young, beautiful queen who tires of, you know, her elderly husband. At least she she doesn't want him killed. Like, I, I appreciate that. But there's, I mean, I feel like all of a sudden there's an awful lot of backstory and subtext and like I kind of want four more episodes of like the backstory of of Atlantis because it was it was kind of interesting like obviously she had uh you know been lovers or I don't know high school sweeties or whatever with uh hip what's his name Hippias, we'll get to him. Yeah. Hippias, one of the worst actors in Doctor Who history. Thank you. That's where I was going to go. But we'll, again, we'll get to him. Yeah, that performance was dreck. Uh, but, but, I mean, like, the I, I didn't feel like the, the writing was that bad because, you know, I the words that came out of his mouth right. gave me the information that I needed in order to understand the scene. Uh, he wants Kronos back. He and the queen are kind of working together. The queen's handmaiden is interested in him. Like if there's all this, like, you know, almost like, you know, very myth, ancient Greek ish Shakespearean, almost like right. there's a lot of palace intrigue that's happening, mm. but it's all laid on us really, really fast in the course of just like, you know, a couple of scenes and then boom, you have to, understand all of this and then the the doctor and joe show up and, and jump into the middle of it. it it definitely feels hasty yeah episode five is basically just conversations in rooms yeah but have you met me i freaking love conversations in rooms i know i do too listen sandbaggers yeah, exactly. right the greatest the greatest show ever made that features conversations in rooms <laughs> this is not the sandbaggers so it just felt like yeah and maybe it's because there, there were a lot of zooms though there was there are many zooms Michael Ferguson would have been proud. Um, uh, yes, Hippias. Um, I, I did, it was a long time ago, given our, our pace of recording here, but uh, at the end of The Mutants, which was just the, the last story before this, uh, everyone was saying, like, oh, Rick James is the worst uh, actor ever. And I, I hinted saying, oh, no, the worst performance happens later in this year, and we'll get to it. I left that as a cliffhanger. You didn't know who it was. It was Hippias. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, uh, Toby Hado uh, had a great line. He he talked. He did commentaries for Time Monster for uh, Happy Times and Places or the Patreon feed. I can't remember which. Uh, and he said, hey, Aiden Murphy, who plays Hippias, does the remarkable thing of being both wooden and over the top at the same time. 
Uh, I I mean, the eyeliner is doing a lot of work on the over-the-top part. That's basically how he delivers his big speech. Um, when uh, Doctor Who is very rarely let me down, mm-hmm. right? And oftentimes, it'll be just this one little thing which will do it. It'll be that weird, dumb scene in The Mutants, which I thought, okay, this story is dumb. It will be the music, the incidental music on Terror of the Vervoids, which is always just knocked down that story a peg for me. I thought you were going to say the incidental music in this story, no. which sounds like a video game, which I, I thought was kind of fun. Yep. No, it wasn't that. Um, no, it was, I remember when I was a kid watching this and I thought, okay, it's going a bit goofy. But then when Hippias starts shout talking his way <laughs> in the, the forum there, I just thought... This is a dumb story. <laughs> and that, that, that. I am surprised now when I, now that I see it in episodic form that he really only was in episode five. He dies very shortly in episode six. Uh, I can't believe that that one performance across like what, three scenes. He, I know he's a, briefly in a previous scene on film um, that that could hold such an impression over me. Especially as a small, you know, a teenage boy watching for the first time, Ingrid Pitt doesn't win me over. <laughs> she is overshadowed by the awful performance of Hippias. Think about that. I mean, yeah, he's really bad. Like, I, I'm i struggling to think of a worse performance in all of the Doctor Who that I've seen, and I'm not coming up with anything. I don't think... Uh, scan the old mind palace here. I don't think any, any worse. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought you were going to say mind probe which is a bad no. reading of a line no. but also delightful what poor um paul what's his name what's his name can't remember his name paul jericho uh the guy who played the castellan right. you know whatever, whatever. I, I, like even <laughs> what i was just watching something again like right. something that i've seen a billion times and they're there's one particular line reading where it's like everything's fine well you know i think it was the matrix i think like one of cypher's lines i was just like joey pantoliano he did not he didn't understand what that line meant because he totally emphasizes the wrong syllable or the wrong word in some sentence and then there's a commercial that i keep seeing and i can't remember exactly what that is but like where <laughs> a pepsi commercial or something wasn't it i'll have a i'll have a pepsi uh, light or something of no, that no that one i figured out it was that was my mistake okay. it's a different there's a different commercial that keeps running during hockey games oh. and it's it's very clear that like oh the reading is just like this it's like no no you were supposed to emphasize the other word in that sentence now it doesn't quite mean what i think they want you to make it mean so like i'm I'm fine with with people getting one bit wrong like that just adds a little bit of flavor to the soup i guess it's the the flaw in the in the rug right think of jack may in the space pirates <laughs> and if he didn't say we are going to be too late again if he said that normally, we wouldn't remember that line. But here we are, 52 <laughs> years later, thinking that was one of the great line readings in Doctor Who history. I love it so much. So much. Oh, but yeah, Hippias, no. He's 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 rotten. He's awful. He's just, terrible. Just awful. Yeah, and you look at, like, you know, Queen Galea and think, how, how, how did this, how is this a thing? I don't, I don't see. I mean, he's good. He's good looking enough. I, yeah, but he has the charm of a, of an aunt i just i i don't know maybe it's all my years of watching doctor who like i'm just used to being like okay that is clearly a big piece of styrofoam but i'm gonna believe it's a 
boulder. Mm-hmm. That is clearly a piece of plywood, but I'm going to believe it's a wall. Right. That is clearly an entire wall full of toilet bowls and a chocolate font <laughs> and a chocolate fountain. But I'm going to try really, really hard to believe that it's a TARDIS. So I can look at him and be like, wow, that is a terrible performance coming from a really uncharismatic guy. But I'm going to believe that he is a passionate Atlantean who loves the queen and truly believes that for the good of his nation, Mm -hmm. Kronos must return um, because people are starving. Sure. (laughs) Sure. We can go with that. That that's perfectly fine. So it, it like he did not ruin it for me. However, no. I very much can't blame you or anyone else for whom like he if he just you know they say one bad apple spoils yeah. spoils the barrel spoils the bunch. Oh, he's he's a he's a real bad apple. Yeah, he's I, like you know <laughs> rotting and like all juice and like the skin is shriveling and it's gross. It's real bad. Yeah, I feel like that scene in the temple. Like I'm not sure. Maybe Paul Bernard who. Is, this is one of my least favorite directed episodes because mostly because of the several times where he doesn't know how to roll back and mix, which also annoyed me at the time. Once again, completely overshadowing Ingrid Pitt. I said, yes, I see you, Ingrid Pitt, and your, and your dress and your top and stuff, but Hippias is overacting, and they're doing the TARDIS materialization wrong, and this is important. <laughs> I am 14 years old, and this is important, damn it. Also, I, I speaking of like the direction and stuff, it's like I understand that in Doctor Who some things need to be on film and some things need to be yeah. uh, on video, and mostly I find that charming. But I actually found it pretty jarring in this story because <laughs> it was like not just in tied to outside; it was or even room to room. It's just like one part of this open area yep. is film, and another part of this open area is video. And I started thinking, wow, wouldn't like life be like trippy if like you were just walking down the road and suddenly the entire nature of reality just shifted around <laughs> you and suddenly everything's just a little bit different because that is that is what it felt like when they the minotaur for some reason busted through a wall and died and right. then they could see the crystal yeah. yeah that whole that whole part there was uh, yeah from from the end of episode five like the, i thought the cliffhanger wasn't great no it was so abrupt uh even though joe looks amazing Mm -hmm. um then the quote unquote fight scene and the doctor like speaking spanish and waving his red cloak to get the minotaur to run at him and Uh. whipping it out of the way this guy's 500 years old he's been he's been guarding it he was a great warrior and just because he suddenly like just because he has not suddenly just because right. he has the head of a bull he i don't know maybe he does have the brains of a bull or something I, just it was all of it felt very flimsy that entire thing then like why did it suddenly run at them so hard yeah. that it was going to break a wall even though it was clearly not going to hit them i just i mean i'm usually good at taking fight scenes with a giant grain of salt and i feel like i didn't have quite enough salt for this one no but that three uh or so minute sequence um gave a hat to hang on for doctor who fans to say that darth vader was once in doctor who that's right you know and i had known that david prowse was in doctor who and i don't think i actually like ever registered that it was in this story and i certainly didn't register that it was that Mm -hmm. character um but but now I know, and I feel a little sorry for him. 
He was also in uh, Clockwork Orange, um, and he also had a very memorable part in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, and he wasn't wearing a costume. He even got to speak words. In his own voice? In his own voice. Beat it. Yeah. Oh, tell you. He's got like a very West Country accent and stuff. And it's funny watching like the rushes of Star Wars before they dub on James Earl Jones' voice. And you can hear him, you know, tear this ship apart. I want him alive. And that sort of, it's, uh, it's I mean, maybe slightly exaggerated, but not really. Yeah. Wow. So maybe that's why he played the Minotaur and he didn't say, Roar, I'm going to catch you, Dr. Who. The roaring was, it wasn't roaring. <laughs> no. It was, it was mooing cow sound effects, which yeah. appropriate, but slightly disturbing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, what did you think of John Pertwee's most uh, moments of charmiest moment of charm during this, where he talks about the daisiest daisy? Have you heard about the daisiest daisy speech? I have heard about the daisiest daisy speech many right. times, and I think at some point I eventually even realized oh yeah that's in this story so i I knew that it was coming uh and honestly i feel like people maybe built it up a little too much (laughs) like because they every time i hear somebody complaining about this story they're like oh yeah well it does but it does have that one speech which is really great and really sweet and i'm like Mm. i feel like i was enjoying the rest of the story just fine (laughs) and then this comes along and it's supposed to be like echelons better Mm. and it's it's good but it's like I don't feel like it's not of a piece with the rest of the the story mm-hmm. in terms of like how it affected me. Um, you know, it was uh, it, it was a little chicken soup for the soul, I guess, right. for me. A little, little much, a little mm-hmm. sappy. It's basically, say, you know, it's kind of like a musical when I think about it. In that, uh, you know, like Joe is saying, I'm frightened. And then the doctor goes on a three-minute speech and says, "I and to say that one time he was frightened, but now he's not. Are you frightened? Uh, a little less. And that's basically, you know, like in a musical, it's like, I am frightened. Well, I'll sing you a song. And then there's a three-minute song, which doesn't move the plot forward any bit. And at the end of it, are you frightened now? It says, eh, a little bit less. That's pretty much what a musical does. Yeah, like you've distracted me for a few minutes, so yeah. now I'm yeah. I'm not thinking about how how scared I am. Yay! Uh, like honestly, I like the speech, but I feel like it should be in a different place in a different story. Like the to me, yeah. the moral of that story is the when you are I don't know down, not yeah. like scared, like it's and like, troubled. And you need a helping hand. That's Carol Kingston. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't even know what you're singing. Carol King. Okay. From uh, that album that was very famous that I can't remember the name of, 1971. Tapestry. Tapestry. That's the one. Okay. Um, but like, I felt like that was a great kind of speech for when somebody is feeling like, I mean, yes, they give Joe the line. It's really pointless, isn't it? Yeah. But it just doesn't. I th- I thought that line was weird and kind of came out of the blue. Like, why would, it, after all the things you've been through with the doctor, after all the times that you've been locked up, why do you suddenly feel like this is pointless? Because, you know, it, it just seemed very strange. And now I realize, oh, the reason she says that is to give the doctor an excuse to <laughs> to give that exact speech, which would be a great speech for somebody who is feeling like life just isn't worth living anymore. Right. Because it's all about, and honestly, like I've, I've had a really terrible week in mental health land. Mm-hmm. It's been bad. So like, that's the kind of speech that I feel like would be, you know, a, a nice thing for me to hear. Like, you know, 
sort of. It can also be taken. I'm I'm sorry I didn't uh, pop down and tell you about the daisiest daisy and see if that would cheer you up even a tiny bit. No, it it totally Uh, wouldn't have. But I mean, that's the. It seems more like the kind of story that you tell somebody who is maybe not like chemically imbalanced down like I was, (laughs) but just you know having a rough day and is feeling like, oh, I just don't want to do this anymore. Everything around me really really sucks like look at Uh, look at this crappy apartment and then you know oh no (laughs) i didn't mean that oh really right you're just an example it's nice got some bears like a ballpark over there it's fine steven just looked so sad for a second there no i'm just uh, i'm just giving an example we've done a good job on it (laughs) fictional fictional apartment uh and you know then telling the story about how the moral of it is The way that you look at it, like right. there's there's beauty in everything. Right. There's beauty in you know in in rocks that aren't as as gray as you think they are. The sun shining on even dirty snow can be a beautiful thing. Like mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff, and that's true. Like I have I have had moments where I have have been down in a more sort of superficial, just you know, life has got, gotten me down sort of a like, way. Like me too, when the others lose or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, where I can just you know, if I stop myself and think about it and look around mm-hmm. and be like. Oh, you know what? Like that clock on the wall that I look at every, or that I don't even bother to look at every single day, but that I see out of the corner of my eyes, that's a really cool looking clock. It's yeah. a neat thing yeah. that we have that giant, fancy, old fashioned looking clock on the wall in our Thank apartment. You. We are we are lucky to have that, right? Mm-hmm. A big giant clock. Yep, and I don't bother to, to look at it every single day and think mm-hmm. about it, but when I do, right now, I'm thinking like that's that's a nice thing, right. and that's. Like, that's what the daisiest daisy speech to me says is, you know, somebody who's just plum tuckered Mm -hmm. and needs a little bit of a boost. Like, that's what you need. (laughs) Not somebody who's been locked up a billion times with you. And I don't know. It just, it felt out of place. So I thought it was good. It was just misplaced. You bring it out. It's kind of like, oh, my coffee's gone a bit cold. Oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you. There was one day when the coffee was cold for me too. And I went up an hill and talked about this guy. And he says, oh, no, that's the coffeeest coffee you've ever seen. (laughs) I'll say that next time. Sure. I uh, I was like, I wonder what it was that got the doctor down. It's probably because he looked into the untempered schism. That's what you thought. Yep. You actually said that, too. You've written that yep. into canon. I thought that was funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's going to scare you. Yeah. Yep. I mean, what a, uh, you know, what a um, interesting um, revelation about the doctor's mental health, I suppose, and depression in general for 1972 <laughs> Doctor Who. You know, they they probably just all Black Day, you know? Mm-hmm. We would call it depression now, but back then, oh, you're just having a bad day. Shake it off. Go, go look at some daisies. Well, again, that's the kind of speech that's not going to get, get you out of no. depression, but it might pop you out of having a having a little bit of a down day or a rough day. That's true. But in the end, they were still imprisoned. And then right afterwards, King Dalios comes in and gets uh, bumped on the head and dies after like hundreds of years of being alive. And that was it. <laughs> that was all knocked him out. He was like booped to death. It's <laughs> just like a little boop. Got a little bruise on the side of his step. Oh, that's it. I'm out. I'm dead. I'm dying now. Really? I just. I mean, right. yeah. Like I was, I was going to say, could I have some headcanon that they roughed him up a bit beforehand? But no, I can't because he seems... He's spitting mad when he comes into the cell. And he is shocked that they're trying to lay hands on yeah. him. So it's clear that they didn't beat him up earlier. I appreciate that they at least put a bruise. Like, yes. it's good makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, so, I mean, he is old. He's very, very old. Mm-hmm. He probably has gotten more and more fragile with time. 
That's so true. this is like it's it's the the straw that broke the camel's back, as they say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, what else about this uh, empress? The master, the master uh, putting the charm on uh, Queen Galea. Yeah, I feel like he. He is a savvy dude. Yep. He looked around. He sized her up immediately, and I am not talking about her cleavage. Nope. I am just talking about like her her bearing. Oh, also, she's got a cat. These yeah. two episodes have a kitty cat, which automatically make this story better than a lot of Doctor Who stories. I'm just saying. I wa- I, uh, an aside, I watched, because uh, I've been watching all the James Bond movies, and A, they're great for spotting uh, Doctor Who actors and indeed props, uh, as well as sound effects. But uh, the great thing was in l- The Only Live Twice, um, Blofeld has a cat, a white kitty cat, mm-hmm. and there's an explosion on set as part of the scene. Mm-hmm. And then they cut over to the camera pans over, that they're about to leave the room. And the white cat has got the ears back Ooh. and is like clawing, like, give me out, give me out, give me out, give me out. And Donald Pleasance, who's playing Blowfell, is like just <laughs> hanging on. They didn't do another take. They said, nope. Come on. Let's go. Let's go with the cat. And so every, now, since I watched that, I was looking at the cat very intently, yeah. seeing what would happen. But much more well-behaved cat. No explosions on set, though. That usually sets cats off, and there was no such thing in this one. I mean, that's realistic. Like, a cat yeah. would be scared, so. That's true. That was a that was a pr- great performance from the cat. <laughs> And uh, you only live twice. Yeah. And I mean, there were definitely moments here when the cat like wanted to get down before she was ready to put the cat down and you could see that. But you know what? That's a cat. (laughs) Like that's how cats work. So, uh, so that was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, but wait, where was I going before I got distracted by the cat? Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, cat, uh, Galea. I said Galea and the master. Um, Master. Master. Yes. Uh, so yeah, he sized her up and recognized that she was, uh, ready for a change. Yep. Not so much like a change in husband, but a change in the power structure of the land. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, the, the the little backstory that they imparted to us, I guess we're supposed to think that she used to be kinder and sweeter and is not anymore. I don't know. I find that a little hard to buy given yeah. how, given how, I don't know. But she, but she does want to keep, um, what's his face alive? Hippias. No. Oh, Deleus. King, yes. The king, yeah. Yeah, she wants to keep the king alive. So, you know, there's there's that. And she's got a cat, so she, she can't be all bad. Right. Um, so I feel like the master just, you know, he he recognizes a not a power vacuum, but a power opportunity. Mm-hmm. And he, he makes use of it. Um, and, you know, she recognizes the power in him, saying he has the, what, the bearing of a god yeah. over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so Well, uh, her handmaiden repeats it, and mm-hmm. then she thinks that she's... Yeah. So, you know, I feel like good job, Master, working the angles and stuff. Yeah, but then he goes like, oh, you'll learn to obey my orders like a soldier. And I think, oh, what are you doing, Master? Come on. I thought he was trying to hypnotize her. He's not very good at hypnotizing people in this episode. Well, uh, the king is 500 years old, so obviously. He can't be hypnotized, but he can't die from a conk in the head from a trident. I I quite liked the scene between the king and the master because the king yeah. was just like he's oh no and his little like the, I liked that bit the speech about him uh, that won't work on a fish like me or something like yeah. that and that, that kind of a net because he's too old it's just like that was that was delightful I enjoyed that that interplay mm. I I like how the master works in you will obey me into a sentence yeah. I like how he doesn't just stop and say you will obey me oh no I'm just trying to go because then I'm gonna try and make you obey me you will obey Ah, very clever. Yeah, it was very smooth, and it you know probably would have worked on a, a lesser mind. Yep. 
Um, so that was fine. Also, I was really interested to see the master thinking that he's killed the doctor. Like he, all the people who ship the master and the doctor uh-huh. and go on about, oh, the master's just trying to get his attention. He's never really trying to kill him. Uh, have you seen the time monster? Because yeah. <laughs> he's totally a hundred percent trying to kill him, and he thinks he did, and he is so delighted about it like his glee was was actually quite fun that was a wonderful performance wonderful performance by roger delgado thinking that the doctor is is completely dead and out of his way and yay now i have you know unlimited power (laughs) over time and space and yay i'm kicking myself for not having finished him off earlier or something Mm -hmm. quote you know kind of like that yeah yeah, so like that was actually kind of surprising to me, just sort of based on the fandom lore around the Doctor and the Master as mm. a you know a pair that dances throughout the universe, you know, trying to overcome each other, but not really. Uh, but yeah, really, yep. absolutely, really. So that was that was kind of refreshing. It was nice. Yeah, people uh, uh, complain that the the bit where he begs for his life at the end there is isn't over the top, but that's the Master playing it being over the top to try and convince the Doctor to take him with him basically and then of course they're gullible and let him go yeah i mean the master knows the doctor just just like the master knew the doctor wasn't going to turn that dial time ram he also knew that the doctor that there was no way the doctor was going to leave him to be tormented forever so it it, it doesn't even matter whether he's over the top or underplays it or undersells it or oversells it or whatever Mm -hmm. like the outcome is basically a foregone conclusion um so i thought it was fine the master like you know doing the the beg for beg for his life thing maybe you know maybe it was just more to sell chronos on it than anything at mm. that point um i had also heard about joe being you know how great it is that joe is willing to sacrifice herself when the master when the doctor isn't and i was like mm, i don't know that i buy that because the doctor even says you know there might be another way and i feel like it's a super duper doctory thing to try to bluff right. with the final solution kind of thing like that but then later come up with a fancy solution so if joe hadn't turned the dial it isn't i feel like just given the years before and after mm-hmm. based on the way that the doctor works and the universe works uh the doctor would have found some other way <laughs> like there's there's always there it seems like there's always another way except for when the the script says that there's not so joe reaches out and turns the thing and like good for her because yeah. i mean it's still a great joe moment because that's joe saying dude <laughs> man up uh. So what you're saying is that at the end of this, uh, Joe uh, s- makes a motion to sacrifice herself when the master has called upon some all-powerful being who destroyed Atlantis, and then that act of um, sacrifice actually saves the day. I both described to a T the time monster and the demons which was written by the same two people Barry Letts and Robert Sloan it's almost like there's a recurring theme or maybe uh-huh. just a way to get out of things when they paint themselves in a corner mm-hmm. yep mm-hmm. yep it does uh, it does feel pretty similar there doesn't it yeah, yeah. now that you now that you mentioned that <laughs> yeah. yeah but she's wearing a much better outfit this time well not better outfit but a much uh, flashier groovier Outfit. I like her outfit in the demons too, but like this is right. this is some next level well, she's, stuff. She's in sacrificial robes in the demons at the time, so she's she's mm-hmm. dressing for the occasion in both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, interesting parallels. Yeah, uh, parallels <laughs> or lazy copycatting. That's probably the one we're looking at. <laughs> but yeah, but still, that's the fact that it it is a thing that has happened more than once. Just shows that that is 
totally within Joe's character. <laughs> That's true. She is she's willing to to do whatever is required to help save the universe, save other people, save the earth, et cetera, et cetera. Joe's Joe's always going to do that. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Yeah. And apparently, time ram happened, and that's what freed the Chronos. Uh, and then, I mean, talk about Deus Ex Machina. Wow. <laughs> like. Chronos Ex Machina. Uh, if we did episode titles, that would be it mm-hmm. right there. Yep. Anything else about the time monster you want to say? Anything at all? Six episodes? Or? I quite liked the uh, groovy nowhere that they were at at the end there, especially when Joe first walks out of the Master's TARDIS and is like almost <laughs> eaten by the CSO and it looks so cool. <laughs> Not sure if that was intentional. I wonder to this day, I think, did you just get the... Cause I think they were on yellow screen because the yep. TARDIS is blue. Mm-hmm. So basically there's a lot of like yellow brown, you know? and yep. Yeah. So... My thought, okay, so here's what happens. She walks out and I was just like, whoa, this is so trippy. That's so cool. This is the best use of yellow screen CSO I've ever seen. <laughs> Genuinely thinking those exact words in my head. Right. Didn't quite say them out loud because I was, you know, I didn't want to. You're in the moment. I was yeah. in the moment. Yep. Okay. She goes in. She wakes up the doctor. Then they come back out. Right. The camera has repositioned. And shooting the doctor and Joe, and suddenly we're not seeing through her anymore. And I think not, not as much anyway. But. Yeah, there's a little bit, but way less. Like you know, seventy eight percent less. Yeah. And I think, oh, that wasn't meant to be the way it was in the first in that first shot. That wasn't the greatest use of CSO ever. No. Uh, I mean, early it was, days, early days for CSO. The greatest looking use of CSO, yeah. but they didn't do it on purpose. Again, the direction in this story. Not not great. Um, but I still feel like that moment of me just watching her, I was like, this is the this is the coolest depiction of being <laughs> in a non time, you know, like yeah. fuzzy mm-hmm. like since probably the mind robber. That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So like the best and then and then they go and ruin it by having the doctor wander in with his not yellow outfit and just <laughs> Yeah, that was that was a little sad then, but that's I still enjoyed that one moment. Oh, that's good. Mm-hmm. So overall, it's all right then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's fine. This, okay. I mean, is it going to be my favorite? No. Am I going to no. watch it for as comfort? Who? No, probably not. Um, but like, you know, say we want to show some just really, really ridiculous classic Doctor Who to True. Annette, for example, <laughs> and we just want to have a night where we're drinking and having snacks uh-huh. and watching some silly Doctor Who that we don't mind talking over. This is a great story. That's true. That and maybe that's why Liz loves it so much. Because like, sometimes you just want to have a story. Like I would equate the Horns of Naimon in a similar category. Minotaurs? Whoa. Never <laughs> thought about that. So obviously the, the story, I mean, maybe not the God Complex because that's like less of a let's um, have drinks and, and watch oh. and laugh. Uh, so there it falls down. But um, yeah, there, there's, there's a Doctor Who story for every occasion. Mm-hmm. And this is one of those. Yep. Yeah, yeah. This is this is a Doctor Who story for a party. This is yeah. a party story. Yep. It's a dreamy party story. Trippy, groovy. That's true. Uh, thus wraps up season nine of classic Doctor Who. Do you know what story is next? I'm going to guess it's the first story of season 10. You are correct. It is not the first one shot. Oh. The, the, they immediately go and shoot what would be the second story of season 10 after this. But the next story we get to see to kick off the 10th season of Doctor Who oh 
is the Three Doctors. <gasps> Yay! I love the Three Doctors so much. It is unabashedly one of my favorite stories of all time. I've been looking forward to watching it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the 10th ten- anniversary story, which uh, premiered about a month and a half after the ninth anniversary of Doctor Who. <laughs> like literally late 1972, the way everything sort of turned out, the 10th season mm-hmm. was basically started in, in the ninth year. But anyway, yeah, 10th mm-hmm. anniversary. All three doctors, yeah. Jail guards. Jail guards, doctors who, unit, holy Moses, all this stuff we have to look forward to. Fun. Yeah. yeah. I, yay, I'm excited. Good. On on the next episode of Lazy Doctor Who, on the incomparable network, you never sneezed. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>